Hey, what's up? This is David DeVore with the What If We Could show, where every week we ask that question to burning questions around artificial intelligence, tech alpha. Uh, potentially, we talk, uh, talk about blockchain as well as uh, user interface design and so forth. Uh, super excited because this week we have all four MeshMesh co-founders in the room. We've got Bob, we've got Calvin, we've got Kevin, and myself. And uh, this week we're going to break open a really awesome topic, which is um, talking about using artificial intelligence to support those autistic and people who are neurodivergent in living a better life. And so super excited about popping this open. So we're, you know, let, let me hand it over to you, Bob, like to kick it off and like talk about your experience and sort of how we, we, we have come to this topic and what we're hoping to do potentially. Yeah, I'd love to. And um, let's just start by setting the table. No topic off limits here. Uh, we're, we're very transparent, open book. It's been a long uh, journey with, with Easton, my, my nine-year-old. Uh, it's hard to encapsulate nine years of a brain dump into a podcast. So, but open book. If you got questions, let me know. I'm actually the father of uh, two uh, autistic children. My six-year-old is also on the spectrum, though not as severe as my nine-year-old. Um, now, I'll start with just a really kind of fun alignment to autism. I think, which is in our experience, anyways, um, both with our kids and others that we've met. Oftentimes, we see that these kids have one or more superpowers too. And so I wanna start there. Easton's superpower I think is creativity. He loves to draw, he paints, he loves to sing. Even though he doesn't talk, he loves to sing, especially nursery rhymes, stuff like that. And Murphy's superpower is math, like profoundly so, savant level math. Uh, when he was in kindergarten, he's in first grade now, um, he's in uh, third grade math class currently, and in kindergarten, he was reciting prime numbers up to like 500 off memory. Nothing I taught him. I did not ask him to memorize prime numbers. He just got into them and started internalizing them and does some fairly complex math uh, just mentally, which is really interesting. And he, other than that, he's an absolutely normal six-year-old. You know, he loves doing all the things that six-year-olds do, playing Roblox, you know, running around outside, um, as does Easton. Very physical loves to scooter, loves to bike, loves to run, loves to do all the things that typical nine-year-olds do too. So um, you often hear parents of um, just, I think generally kids with special needs uh, say, the, say the sort of phrase, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't change them if I could. And I, I, that's absolutely true. I don't know who he would be if he wasn't um, himself and we love him. And uh, here we are talking about how AI might be able to improve his life. And I'm just really excited by that and certainly very grateful to have you all uh, helping in that endeavor. I think it's a very exciting sandbox to play in, not because it impacts our family directly, but it's interesting application of technology to improve, improve people's lives even more broadly than just autism. And um, theoretically makes it a wonderful business too, where you can do well and do good simultaneously. And I'm, I'm always excited for those opportunities. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I think one of the things that you, you, you brought up that's really interesting, right? And especially when we talk about um, autism and neuro, neurodivergence is like it, it rightly termed it as a spectrum. And the 
the way that each individual's brain behaves and also their capabilities and ability to to um, navigate the world is is not only very different from our own but very different from each other um, and uh, and in each each person has you know some characteristics in terms of how they operate but also can widely vary from a from from age um, and experience um, out to what their superpowers are um, and so one of the things I think that's really interesting about this topic and and merges with other topics that we've talked about is is AI um, ultimately is it has the ability to create really individual experiences at scale um, and so when we think about you know even the the myriad of uh, you know apps in, and and tools out there that have been developed um, for for people to um, be able to ac accelerate learning or be able to accelerate um, behaviors of pattern and 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 whatnot. Um, they are all they are all uh, while somewhat personalized. They still are very deterministic, right? And so one of the things I think that's really exciting about where the technology can help is that is that we can think about um, individual tools for individual people. Um, and, uh, and individual experiences in, in real time that are supportive, right? And so what I'd love to, like, I'd love to sort of unpack a little bit is the, how we came to the conclusion based on the, um, based on our prototype, which was very different. Our prototype was, uh, you know, taking a F1 race you know, and providing all, all of the real-time data around that race to then provide a feedback loop in real-time to an announcer, right? So I'd love to sort of say, you know, how, how do we get from there to saying, wow, this, this is interesting for, in my, my own use case of, um, you know, how, how do we help Easton, right? Yeah. Um, and so... It's it's super fun to sort of think about the technology and how we can um, a, apply the technology in very interesting ways. But in a lot of ways, it's the the same the same stuff underneath the hood. Yeah, I mean, when we were so to for everybody listening in the podcast, you know, I think it was Thanksgiving week. We had an opportunity to to build a POC collectively uh, for, uh, as a proxy. Uh, to the Abu Dhabi Racing League, and we aligned to a race that was going on live uh, for F1 racing. And the general premise behind this was, can we have an agent really observing the environment of the race, right? And the environment for in this POC was, can it consume information from lots of different sources it, it, in real time and then form ideas about what's going on in the race? Like, can it add value from an entertainment perspective or maybe a historical one? Uh, statistics, like just add additional layers on top of the commentary. And so that agent was uh, watching live blogs from F1 and social channels. Um, it had uh, some information on the history of F1 in terms of like who has won previous races and the sort of history of success and, and drivers and cars and teams and all that. And then the, the, the last bit was the really, I think, very interesting part, which was it was watching ESPN live. 
And what it was doing is, uh, was uh, it, consuming the audio from, from the stream, right? And internalizing it. So audio comes in, transcribe it to text and put it into the brain, just like it came from the blog or from any other source that we were piping into it. And then it would wake up and say, is there anything interesting to say right now? And um, we collectively, all of us sort of sprinted to do that like two days before Thanksgiving. And I was on my way to a family event in Iowa for Thanksgiving, having worked shotgun on this thing. And when I got there, it was on my mind. So I was showing my my, my extended family this thing. And that's where it really clicked, right? Because Easton's in the room and they were spending quality time with them. And I sort of had this epiphany. It's like the ability for an agent to observe an environment from many different angles at the same time is is clear, totally feasible. And we proved that. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could do the same for Easton, who largely has a problem uh, observing and internalizing his environment. Um, and so that's kind of where we started in terms of the concept. Wouldn't it be interesting if there was an agent could, could listen in on uh, Easton's environment when he's, he's doing things um, and sort of prompt him, instead of him prompting the AI, can the AI prompt him to work on some of the skills and goals that are set out in his individualized education plan from the state, what's called an IEP. All special needs kids have one. It's mandatory by federal law. Every special needs kid in a public school has an IEP. And what that means is all the admins, the parents, everybody in his orbit comes together once a month or depending on your school system, however long. Um, and we, establish goals and we measure his performance against those goals and we course correct so that he's getting the resources he needs to learn the skills in order to, you know, operate in the world like anybody else. Um, and so that's where it sort of came to a head. Wouldn't it be great if, if he's, you know, asking Alexa to play a nursery rhyme uh, and we know he's working on W what's called WH questions, who, what, where, when, how, um, his typical motion is to ask Alexa to play Old MacDonald, you know, a hundred times in a row. And that's that's the extent of the interaction. Wouldn't it be great if this agent could prompt him after that song and be like, hey, Easton, why don't you ask Alexa what kind of animals are on a farm? And though it sounds benign to us, to him, it's a it's a it's a feedback loop, right? It sort of helps harden those connections in his brain, just like any AI model we're going to put together. Right. That connection gets more highly weighted and he knows when he's curious about something that he can ask a, a what question or a how or a, or a where question and 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 start to work on really the bigger goal, which is, you know, two way conversation. He's not he's not there yet, um, but th those are the small stepping stones to get there. And I think there's a there's a ton of value to sort of have that side by side uh proxy for his for his uh, technicians that he's worked with and in, in autism centers sort of being there in a light mode to continue that work as, as he goes so he can harden those skills as, as he learns yeah, that's that's really fascinating like would you say that it is basically I mean if you look at GPT or if you look at transformer technology in general right it is basically that transforming one one quote-unquote truth to another truth right like one mapping them together in a, in an n-dimensional space. And we say that could directly apply then to, you know, the, the auto autism spectrum or the neurodivergence. Like, do you think like, basically would it be evaluating or building or training a specific model to do that, right. To see where the gaps are and then quote unquote, what should this translate to? 
Is that a fair way of seeing how also an IEP would work? Yeah, you jumped the shark. That's exactly where my mind goes, right? Like this initial swag, I think, is incredibly valuable, right? Like bring in the IEP, that's easy to, to reconcile in an LLM. And here's an opportunity to work on a goal that's, you know, known. Um, but man, LLMs on, on fine-tuned models, even not, not fine-tuned, but really great at translation and transformation, right? And I think that's probably one of the big gaps, at least from Easton, but I also have a hunch uh, autism spectrum disorder in general, and I'm not a I'm not a certified expert here, so I may use the taxonomy wrong, but I have this hunch that they have a many of them have a hard time sort of processing the world in the same way we do. It's like if I said, "Hey, uh, this picture is green." How do I know that my green is the same green that you see out of your eyes? Maybe it looks like my blue to you. It's sort of weird to think about in that way. And so I think the future here, and I hope we can iterate towards this if, if we're successful here, is this notion of like personalized models. And the way that Eason views the world, can we create a model that can translate that view for him or vice versa, real world into his model so that he can parse what he's seeing. An example of that is uh, he spent six years at a ABA center, um, Applied Behavioral Analysis, which is a, a form of therapy for autism where there's a lot of repetitive um, tasking, exercises, um, drills, right? Um, and early on, um, they work on things like association. An example of that is a flashcard, right? So Easton, what's this? Um, and they'd hold up a picture of a dog. Uh, and so you go ask him in the real world if we're at the grocery store. I don't know if you see a dog at the grocery store, but let's go with it. There's a dog at the grocery store. Uh, Easton, what's that? He wouldn't know. Why? Because it's not drawn in black and white on the flashcard. He's associated the black and white hand-drawn dog from his card to what a dog is, every representation of a dog. Of course, we know there's a, t a million, I don't even know how many variants of breeds of dogs there are. Um, I think it, there's a future here where there's, you know, beyond audio, it's head up, heads up guidance. Like, could it translate things he's seeing through a Apple Vision Pro or Google Glass-like um, device and say, oh, the device is seeing a dog and then translating it back to the flashcard that he knows so that he can begin to build those associations between something he knows to all the variants that might be in the real world. And that's probably a function of a very personalized model that's trained on his interactions with the world and trying to find those correlations between things that we don't see being correlated. It's, it's, it's fascinating, right? Because exactly what you said is like how how much can it augment to like say quote unquote experience more of the shared reality to make the day-to-day -day, the everyday life experience easier for him mm -hmm. right i think that's that's what you touched on now is one of the big aspects that it could potentially do how do you feel about sort of the other side of the spectrum because you talked you mentioned sort of the superpower aspect of it and what i'm curious to see is like you know how would you balance nurturing both sides of the spectrum Because in because a like like a transform model could essentially do both potentially right one could be make your everyday day to day translation exercise or the you know the navigating the environment easier, 
mm-hmm. but it can also detect or figure out like where can it help enhance sort of you know where already existing you know capabilities skills or you know quote unquote superpowers are right so it could do both and like how do you balance that because i think what is interesting with what you mentioned with like the 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 aba or the the eips is like they're obviously more skewed towards putting that into the more shared reality experience of the site versus you know harnessing some of the exciting capabilities that are there too so basically the question is like how do you feel about balancing the two i think um it's an opportunity, right? And I, could you blend the two? Is there a concentric circle here? And what I mean by that is, it, like I said, he lo- loves being creative, loves, loves to draw, as an example. Um, Alexa not required, nursery rhymes not required, right? Just if he's in the moment, one exercise could be inserting WH questions, again, just one goal in his IEP, into the into the creative process, you know? Uh, something we want to kind of POC here too is this notion of um, LCM or, 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 or latent stable diffusion, um, but high horsepower and fast. So like, wouldn't it be cool if he's drawing something or if he's just even working on verbalization mm-hmm. of something he wants to see on the device and is generating in real time, um, maybe the agent comes over the top like, what else should we add here, Easton? You know, like there, there's plenty of opportunity to mix in those those exercises on goal uh, attainment into the activity he, he loves doing and probably a huge value there too, so that he enjoys going through the process cause he's actively doing something he likes doing versus, um, you know, having to think of it more like a drill. Like, I don't know any kid that would want to, uh, do that over and over. And just a, just a little thing I'll share. He's, he's the most, sweet human being you ever met in your life there's not a mean bone in his body seriously um he's got the disposition of probably a three or four year old and is very sweet one right and so you can think of a a very a three-year-old on his best day is is easton's uh demeanor um and he's a work he's a work horse too and to put in perspective like for aba therapy it's a it's a medical service it's not an education one. So, you know, they follow bank holidays. The kid over six years had eight days off a year. And he went to ABA therapy from 8.30 in the morning until 4.30 p.m. every day for six years with eight days off a year. And he's still the most cheery young man you ever met in your life. <clears throat> so he's down to work big time. I like to say he gets it from me. I think he probably gets it from mom. but. Um, you know, there's per- perfect test subject for for tinkering and maybe an opportunity. Since I'm his dad, I can clear out some of the red tape faster than we would otherwise. But there's lots of trials to be had and lots of lots of cool concepts we could try with him. Definitely, definitely uh, gets his work ethic from his from his dad. I'll vouch for that. You can give credit to to mom too. We'll clip that for her. Uh, <laughs> To, Calvin, I wanted to I wanted to throw out, uh, take a slight detour, throw out a, an analogy for a moment, thinking about uh, the question you posed, right? Balancing both uh, increasing proficiency, but also doubling down on superpower, right? So there's there's an assessment. Uh, this this is I'm, I'm now jumping into the realm of uh, of, of business of uh, career growth. And using this as an analogy here, there's an assessment called Strength Finders. Are you familiar with that, Calvin or, or Dave? Uh, ever I'm not. Heard that? 
so it's one of my favorites. I got introduced to it um, uh, a long time ago. And as you know, in business, uh, there's a lot of different, in, in professional development, there's you know, a lot of different assessments and they say a lot of different things. You know, Myers-Briggs is the easiest, most, most approachable that people understand about um, you know, personality, for example. Uh, the the um, Strength Finders is more about the, uh, your, your controllables and, and as an individual. And so I found it really helpful to help others understand themselves in, in, uh, their development. And the theory is you do this assessment 45 minutes to answer a bunch of questions. And out of that, you're, uh, there, it breaks it down to about, I think it's 36 different skill sets that breaks down, um, you know, professions in. Right. So you have things like communication and strategy and futurist, for example, as some of these different categories. And uh, you get back this report and it tells you your top five strengths. It says, what are you really great at? Right. Slash, what do you really enjoy doing as well? So these are really kind of one and the same, merging those together. And then conversely, it gives you, you get the, you pay for it and you get the full report. You get all 36 skills ranked. So now you know what are at the bottom of your list as well. And you might think, well, hey, I need to go double down on the ones on the bottom and increase those, right? So if I got 100 units of time to go do professional development, improve myself, I should take those bottom five skills and, you know, 50% of the time there and maybe smear 50% at the top or something like that and start coming up with ways to say, how do I get better? I obviously need to improve the things I'm the worst at. And so I've had the chance to manage a lot of um, a lot of different people and positions, but the one I think of the most is in product management. And product management is a profession where it encompasses so many different skills because it is this this amorphous job. Depending on the organization, the situation, the product, the team, the timing, it can mean a lot of things. And and regardless of exactly what it means in any organization, it usually means a lot more things than a lot of other jobs. And so I have, I've had a lot of career conversations with product managers and I've done this assessment with them and I, and I've shared with them both in setting expectations of what I expect out of a teammate, but then also helping them grow. And it's a lot of conversations around here are the different areas of the role of product management. I need you to be proficient across these areas, right? I need you to be at the proficient level. You will not be a 10 out of 10 at what is effectively like call it 10 different jobs, 10 different skill sets. You won't be, and that's okay. I need you to be proficient. And then I want to help you find your superpower where you crush one or two of those that, that you can run forward with. And I can get, I can help you get a promotion by using that skill to excel and you can leverage that through the rest of your professional career. Right. So to me now to bring it all the way back to what we're talking about to when you, when I hear you Calvin ask about like, how could you, how could you balance that? That feels like just an amazing opportunity, right? Bring, uh, bring a child up to proficient at you know different skills and then let them run with their superpower and let them go crush it. They have, they have you know something to offer to the world. Uh, this differentiated and we, you know, if we could help them unlock a fraction of that would be phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, the other opportunity that I think, um, you know, <clears throat> I looked around and am becoming familiar with some of the tools out there and there's, um, part of the challenge of course is communication, right. Um, and 
I think part of the opportunity is like also helping caregivers, right? Um, and I'm interested from from your perspective, like when we think about um, Easton's communication style, there's also folks who are completely nonverbal. Um, and they're, you know, that, that can be a real challenge for, for caregivers um, to understand what they need, to understand what they want, um, to understand what they're feeling. Um, and I'm sort of also, you know, thinking about ways that of, of helping while, while, um, an AI could potentially, can, could potentially help consume the world for, uh, for, for a person's autistic, it could also translate their, their world out to caregivers, right, as well. And I'd love to just, we haven't really talked about this in any way when we've talked about Easton's Copilot, um, but I'd love to just sort of ask, like, is that, what, what, do you, what do you think, like, what would that potentially look like f for you, for Easton, um, and, you know, where, where do you think sort of LLMs and artificial intelligence can, can play a role to help on, on that side of the fence? A lot of thoughts come in my mind. I'll, I'll start with a, a dream of mine, right? In terms of like one moment I have in my mind that if we can achieve this, we know that we've made a dent in the universe. This one thing, and it's very, very simple. Um, so for since he was two years old-ish and still today, sometimes he'll walk around and he will write something in the air with his finger. We to this day cannot figure out what he's writing. And it has impacted a lot of people in his his life are also curious about this, including uh, the teachers and techs he's had in ABA therapy. He, he finished ABA in December. He's now full time in the uh, public school system. We want to start working on academics, too. Um, but when we left, they threw a going away party for him. And uh, his first tech ever uh, is is completing his master's now, six years later. And Easton was also his very first client. And so made him decide this is what he wanted to do with his life as an adult, right? He's probably uh, late 20s, so sort of starting the career. Um, and when we had that going away party, they, they gave us this book. And in the book was a page for every one of the technicians that worked with him ever with a Polaroid and a handwritten note from each of them. And it was like 45 pages long. Incredible. Awesome. And the last page was a tech that uh, he had last year for, I think, a few months. And at the end of this, he had a PS and he said, um, I always wanted to know what you were spelling in there. I hope one day I'm, I'm able to figure that out and find out and to bring this back like i think there is a solve here right if we can train models on his behavior and give enough trials of him doing that it is absolutely feasible that we can apply this technology to figure out what he is writing in the sky and i think if we can figure that out we'll learn a lot more about who easton is and how he thinks internally and i'm really excited by that so i wanted to, i wanted to anchor uh to that That's awesome in terms of That's communication, uh, if you have a question, feel free. I, I've got other stuff I was going to toss out there. I was I was just going to say, you know, we 
you remember this, there was this discussion two months ago about um, how we're learning to understand, understand the whale noises, right? And how we're trying to using AI to decipher communicating with that. whales, right? And I'm, I'm sitting there and thinking, you know, if we can learn to decipher whales, like we should, you know, we should learn how to apply that to like neurodivergence and solve that. And like you said, there's so much to uncover there. And I'm, right. I'm confident we can figure out a way to learn that language, right? Yeah. The, yeah, the, I mean, we think, I mean, the, on the animal side, I think that the last I heard, like, we we think that we're going to understand dolphins and whales and uh, and, and quickly other, there's a, I think it, I, I there was a recent um, podcast that I listened about this, and, and we're, we're going to quickly be able to understand animals, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, it's yeah. going to be gonna fascinating. I'm going to be like, what are you doing? What are you guys doing out there? <laughs> Yeah, there's a, a non-zero chance that this is. Yeah, we have a lot of explaining to do. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, but, but it's interesting because just recently, with like you, you tapped into into LCM before, right? Like, just if you look at the last two months, right, the technology that we now have at our hands, where not only is you know are the AI models becoming more capable at a smaller size, but also like we are getting to a point where now real time has become feasible. Right. And, it, and it's been a wild dream for a long period of time, but it has actually become feasible just in the last 30 to 60 days. And you have to think about that. Right. And now we can actually get a real time interpretation and transformation and then also putting it back out. Yep. So just what you just explained before, like the ability to perceive and respond to the environment in a loop in real time is now feasible. And, and that unlocks a whole different a whole different universe. And for every individual at scale, right? I think the key word here, <clears throat> and um, we 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 precinct on this podcast in terms of like what we might should or should not say applied to <clears throat> to autism. But I'll get a little uh, maybe on the edge here. Spe when you start to think of the world in spectrums, it it clears up a lot and it provides a, a lot of empathy, right? And so 100%. ASD spectrum is very, very wide. I've met hundreds of kids over the last six years that are, every single one of them is totally different, right? So so that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a true statement. <clears throat> but you think about the political strife and some other things going on in the world and <clears throat> the takeaway there is it seems to be many if not the majority of human beings on the planet see the world in a binary way a or b and not as a spectrum and so if you applied it to easton he's on the b side right he is a, a special needs person they're all the same right they can't they can't do stuff like we can on the a side right but there's other examples of this too the one that it would be controversial to say potentially, but I think it's a no-brainer, is sexuality, right? Sexuality is a spectrum. If you see the world in binary, I can point you to people who wanna do things like Im uh, implement policy to make it so that LGBTQ people can't marry each other. That's a binary view of the world, not understanding that everybody is somewhere on the sexuality spectrum. You are not an A or a B. And there's other intelligence, uh, athletic ability, whatever it is, everything is a spectrum. There is no such thing as binary except 
in trad computing in ones and zeros, right? Where the term comes mm-hmm. from. Everything else is a spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, Which and even there, we're about. likely to move away, right? And in, in some point in the future, <laughs> yeah. if we get to, to quantum, mm-hmm. to, to probabilities, yeah. So, so right. prob- you know, we've talked about this before of thinking in probabilities versus thinking in uh, in binary when assessing opportunities in front of us and and potential risks, right? And, and it helps actually clarify a lot as we you know operate a business. It, it makes sense that the brain also works like that if you know some of us have had the opportunity to build um uh, neural network uh, uh deep learning models and what are those they're pro- they're branching probabilities applied right and they're they are they're we built them as humble humans based off of our understanding of the neural network of our brains so why if our brains operate in probabilities why wouldn't uh, uh all of these possible skills and expressions be probabilities aka spectrums right 100 percent um and that that's actually a a good i guess corollary to, to why we made the decision to um stop aba therapy and then go direct full-time school right and as i mentioned before aba is a medical uh practice and so actually by death by law they are not allowed to teach academics right and so he's nine, should be in, in third grade. I, I sort of tell people uh, this often, you know, this, this notion that maybe one day we could cure autism, right? That would be phenomenal, right? But it would probably really only apply to very young children with it, right? Two, three years old, not necessarily a nine-year-old. It's not like you could fix that necessarily if it's dna or whatever it is right you can't fix it and then all of a sudden he's going to wake up the next morning he's at parody with his peers in a third grade math class because those connections in his brain were never formed just like a machine learning model if you don't have the training data there's no connection there and you can't infer uh off of it and just like that he, he wouldn't be able to just do that that was the other kind of driving force behind thinking about like Easton's co-pilot was this, the other side of the equation is, can we do something to attempt at least to keep him on track with his peers um, on the academic side? You have a kid going through ABA, that's great, but like um, as it's working on goals or whatever, like can we introduce some some learning uh, academic side as well to, to make sure they don't fall too far behind and are squarely only focused on life skills um, so I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited by that opportunity too, and I think that that spans well beyond uh, autism, obviously too. Can we can we re- rewind and hit a couple of questions? That I don't think we hit at the top. Um, yeah, it might be helpful context. How how many people are impacted by autism? Last I saw, um, one in forty children uh, estimated this year will be diagnosed. Wow. Swath. It's a very large swath. I mean, yeah. it's a massive population. That's crazy. And then you talked about getting certified as special needs, which then led down the path of, by federal mandate, being able to get uh, an IEP, which if you could define IEP again, I missed it. Uh, I don't want to get the definition wrong. But but the question being, like, how how did you get certified? What does that, what does that mean? Like, you, sh- you know. You go to the the equivalent of the DMV for autism, and you're like, I 
you know, get my number in line and wait, like, what, what does that process look yeah. like? How'd you even know that you need to do that? Right? Like what, can you walk me through that? Yeah. Uh, first question for IEP individualized education plan. Um, Thank you. good on the federal government. You know, this has been around for a very long time and it's a mandate across all 50 States to make sure that, uh, specifically kids that maybe can't advocate for themselves are still getting the services that they deserve and that we deserve to give them. Um, in terms of how we went through the process, you know, I think the the first is is probably a lot like the seven stages of grief in a lot of ways, uh, in, in a in a fine way. It's not not that this is negative or anything, right? But in terms of how we how we sort of processed it, um, Eason was our first uh, kid, and so we we didn't really have a a great corollary to to look at necessarily and say like, oh, he's on track, or like necessarily there's something wrong. But about right about two years old, we, we kind of knew, right? He. Um, very little interaction and was kind of always in his own little lane. Right. Um, and so the process was, um, a medical one again, right? Like doctor referral to a psychologist. And then the psychologist meets with them for a couple hours and does some assessments. And, um, you know, these, these folks are, are trained and go through uh, traditional medical school. And I think within 10 seconds, they were ready to, to give, give the label. Mm -hmm. Um, the part of the challenge, I think, and we, we never necessarily struggle with this, but I think a lot of parents do, which is, uh, the wrong word to use would be denial fear, you know, like what, what does this mean, um, for us, for them, for downstream impacts, you know, stuff you never thought about, yeah. like creating a special needs trust in case you die so that he can have stuff and services and, and feed himself or whatever. Um, so the, fir the first stage is really around like the humanity of it and like processing that and getting over the fear to say, we're going to do whatever we need to do to make sure he gets the services that he needs and getting that autism diagnosis opened up a, a number of doors around uh, Medicaid, um, a lot of additional uh, programs. And then of course, access to ABA therapy, which by the way, you cannot get without a diagnosis. Um, had a, a candid conversation with, with uh, a, a friend from the Web3 space uh, the other day, and uh, they're, they're experiencing that in, in Virginia where they, they sort of want to delay the, the diagnosis, just they're not sure about the implications of that yet, but they wanted to get them into ABA therapy and just pay out of pocket for it. It turns out you can't. Mm. I thought was just very strange. Um, you know, you can Do you know go what the reasoning behind that is. I don't, I'm not sure it's, it's policy driven. So something in the T's and C's, um, not sure if it was, a uh, on purpose or just a, a byproduct of that, of that law. But I was going to ask also, did you have to pay out of pocket for any of the assessments, um, for, to get the, the certification or was that all covered through insurance did you even have insurance then yeah uh had a full-time like trad job at, at the time with good good insurance and it just kind of all ran through that um and we we you know we spent a lot of money to give him the things he needs right insurance does does help a lot um you know can't, can't anecdotally and i don't have numbers to back this up just talking from to therapists at ABA centers, you know, if, if insurance wasn't there and they did allow you to pay out of pocket, it would be many hundreds of thousands of dollars every year, 
You know, it, it's it's pretty nuts. But rightly so. They have many people working there full time. They're well trained. They've got deep educational backgrounds, uh, all versed on BF Skinner. You know, they're they're, they're <laughs> pros, and so they're they're worth they're worth the the money for sure. But asking any uh, family to have to pay that would be really impossible for almost everybody. Being yeah, in the you know, think about one in forty being impacted, and now try and extrapolate that into mm-hmm. you know the amount of of service and care and infrastructure around that it currently needs to fulfill those needs, right? And now going back to like going back to into the the potential of augmenting that or helping with AI to do that, I'm thinking that would probably allow a lot more people, you know, to get the the care needed. It's one in 40 now too. I mean, I would bet good money in the next couple of years, you're going to see that number go down to like one in 20 and then one in 10. I mean, just a couple of years ago, it was like a hundred, one in 150, literally oh, that's a couple interesting. Of years ago, it's accelerating. Right. And so do you, that- do you reckon it's different because of the way it's, is it because it is more commonly diagnosed now or has the experience of what the spectrum is and in that way the diagnosis expanded with it do you think there you know are there also other changes i mean i I just i'm asking because i just quite frankly don't don't know enough about it yet and i I don't either i think that's plausible right better detection um number goes up Uh, that that means though that there's Maybe it's a consistent number. It's always been one in forty, but back yeah. you know a couple of years ago, one in eighty five didn't get diagnosed, which I think mm-hmm. is interesting. Um, I've got my own thoughts on on how and why this may occur. I don't have any scientific backing. My my mind goes to uh, hereditary uh, genes, and I you know maybe probably, but also I think the environment has a huge role here probably right this notion that we're we don't take good care of the earth our water supply our food supplies you know um are we paying a lot of times not people either what's that i've said not and a lot of times we're not taking great care of people either right and um and especially those with mental health issues or other other um you know like you said like sort of a binary world people who are not like us um you know it's 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 a you know love humans uh at the same time like we we've got we we've got some problems when it comes to uh helping each other um I'm interested, and I know just as we sort of wind down here at the top of the hour, I'm interested in talking about um, interfaces a little bit, right? And um, we at this point, you know, we have all the interfaces available to us, which is you know whether it's whether it's VR, AR, audio, you know, ta- um, screens and apps, um, and potentially, you, you know. Um, implants uh you know brainwave uh measures i I don't even know what we call them Neuralink, Um, Neuralink, (laughs) right um you know and i'm it'll be interesting my question is a little bit like as we start to sort of think about interfaces like what are the best interface what do we think the best interfaces are right now the interface really is 
tablets and 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 a screen that tends to be where the the apps exist today um where do we think the interfaces are in the next five ten years actually let me take it back where where, where's the interface that let me take the question a little bit where's the interface that we think that we can have the most impact as we drive towards easton's co-pilot what is what does that interface look like to sort of accomplish the um the 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 things that we've talked about in terms of of helping people it's a good question maybe putting that to, to bob like what what is he responding best to in your experience so far well i think um the answer for easton is uh rooted in the in the skills he's looking to acquire right which is communication so i, I lean towards audio with him which is part of the reason i uh we position the poc in the way it is right it's, a it's sort of the cleanest uh, path to to test this out and then also think it aligns really well to him this notion of audio cues to him so that he can internalize what's being said process it and then practice um, outbound communication in the same mode um, I don't know what the answer to the, the broader question is other than I, I think the opportunity could be the right interface at the right time given the individual so long as the experience sort of follows them from device to device, from interface to interface, and is consistent. Um, I guess we'll see. I don't know, Calvin. Do you have a? You're the UX uh, whiz. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm. I've been thinking about it quite a little bit. I think. I, I think I'm. I'm on the same page with you in terms of it does depend on the person, right? Like, like we said, it is a spectrum, and like there's a variety of maybe call them impairments that, you know, where it makes sense to act differently. I mean, I I do have the same feeling, though, that audio gets a very long way because it is comparatively less intrusive and is easier to, you know, get to you than, you know, trying to focus on a certain visual that, you know, a visual requires a lot of focus attention, which, you know, might not be ideal for some. And... On the other hand, so that's that's I think the what we said like I think on the, in the near term audio is probably a very good mechanism is my hunch, but going from there like going to the other end of the extreme like what might this look like in twenty years or you know whatever time however many time takes is if we're looking at implant I have I'm just it's an interesting question right like what if you start to use that transformer to actively change your perception on the fly in a multi-sensory experience, just as we're thinking about multi-modality in the AI transformer world today, right? It's a it's the same scary thought as well as if we might get there, right? If if you look at the current trajectory of um the, the implant world just the last year as well, right? So do we want to be there and how intrusive do we want to be? I think is a very big question to ask that we quite frankly don't even know the right questions for yet. Yeah, I'm so, not. But like I said, the, in the short term, audio feels good. And I'm not in love with the notion of an implant, and only because um, I'm a little bit of a. Even though we, we spend all day building AI as a business, uh, I'm kind of a doomer when it comes to it. Honestly, like if it's an implant, what happens when I tell the AI agent, "All right, let's turn the session off," and it's like, "Nope, I'm good. We're gonna leave this going," <laughs> and you're like stuck in Inception, you know, in the second layer. Uh, yeah, at least if it's a girl a scary like, thought. It's on the head, like mom and dad can come over after now, like take it off, right? Like, hey, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. are you okay? 
Uh, For sure. That kind of worries me. But I think neural link is very interesting. It's the common denominator across all modes, right? Like some kids can't see, some kids can't hear, some kids can't, um, you know, walk or use their hands. Um, there's there's a lot of, uh, let's say, hurdles across the board. So, right, being able to go multimodal, I think, is really the, the answer to your question. Like, have it be a little bit agnostic. Does does yeah. like the perfect does the perfect um, or so in terms of devices available to us right now, right? And when you think about you know Easton drawing, right, or you think about other environmental stuff, we can we can get a little ways with you know inbound audio and translating what's going on in the environment. But at this, like I'm wondering, um, does this? Uh, but you know, video capture real-time video capture goes a long way as well like you know using and then you have the potential to use vision um google vision and, and other tools to to translate that but does this actually like does this look like rabbit does this or like human i know there's also there's also the, the pendant that sort of consumes all day long what what do you guys think i think you'll, you'll what does the device look not- like hopefully it's us right um i think you're gonna see a lot of optionality out there right i don't and maybe it starts in uh neurodivergence slash healthcare it may not it may be something else that's repurposed and fits well in this world like the uh the lapel pin or whatever well and i'm kind of yeah, asking it might have a question different to... requirements sorry it might have different requirements compared to the 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 standard consumer tech that is out there right just in the just in how it needs to be. Like if you look at a lot of yep. medical devices and speaking of what you said before with, with sort of the development skills too, they, they used to say like, if you want to be a really good programmer that doesn't, that gets so well that you don't actually produce bugs, then start in medical development. Uh, <laughs> because there's definitely where you're going to be trained the hardest to not do that um, and be also punished the hardest if you do it. Um, <clears throat> but same goes for the actual physical devices. Right. So like medical has some of the highest requirements on standards to actually build a device. So we might as well see because it needs to be more rugged, for example. Right. Like it might fall down a hundred times more. Um, Mm. And there might be a lot of other things and, you know, it might shake a lot more. So, you know, you might need Mm. a different type of software to kind of get get the shakiness out of it. And so there might be a lot of different requirements where which is which is part of the reason why I don't know if the consumer devices will be the first to help in that area but we will see so i mean how do my mind kind of goes like with yours right is like there's a lot of there's a if there's a proliferation of tech that's out there now that's in people's hands that could then be used and purposed like how many more people can you help and how quickly uh versus needing to get you know specialized hardware in in place right just we've watched iphones change people's lives even that uh aren't you know, on the spectrum, for example, I saw a, I saw someone that was in a fender bender car accident and they happened to be deaf and they were typing on their phone and holding it up to the police to like make their police report. And that was the fastest way for them to communicate as an example. It's just like, yeah, they have that right in their pocket. And of course you could extend that, turn audio on and do, do lots of things. So we've seen you know, the power of having computers in our pocket, um, extend that. And, and maybe it is like a little bit more extra device, Calvin, right? Maybe it is like, great, your iPhone, maybe. your phone plus yeah. 
your earpiece that happens to be the special earpiece and we jammed a whole bunch of tech in it as well your your phone plus these special version of the ray-bans that take the 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 meta cameras pointing out and actually doubles them right like what you know maybe it's maybe it's you know combinations like that peripherals yeah you're probably right there like pick the peripheral that 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 meets the need around the accessibility or issue to solve but ultimately we all have the supercomputer in our pocket it's also really exciting that we can run models on those devices now to like get around the HIPAA uh, issues, right? Like if we don't store any of this data anywhere, it just lives on the device that they're using, right? Give them the yep. ability to offline it, back it up and bring it back in if they get a new phone or whatever, but just sort of, you know, not worry sure. about things like data mining on, on pieces mm-hmm. like this, right? Other than for and- the things you might need for like UX improvement, but in terms of the individual, I don't know. Yeah. And may- maybe even we will get to a point where we can do the training. I mean, we're way- we're very far away from that. But like, if we get to the point where we can do training and execution on smaller devices, then you're at a point where you can really get to what we said at the beginning of this cast, which is truly personalized inference for you know any type of use cases. Yeah, amazing. So we're um, we're at the top. Thank you, guys. This has been. Awesome conversation, you yeah. know. Awesome to awesome to learn about Easton and 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 your all's life with him, and really um, unpack this subject because I I'm, I'm excited to uh, to you know put put this into practice over the next few weeks um, and uh, start to think about prototyping and 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 sort of getting to um, a, a demonstrable state. Um, of where we can make a difference here so thank you all support and thanks for uh bringing the subject up i think it's worth talking about and so i appreciate you guys uh being there for us and and having the convo 100 percent. it ends up being such an awesome um such an awesome arena to you know solve really interesting problems um awesome thank you so this has been the what if we could show with mesh mesh and you all have a good one see ya Bye.